We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone and welcome to a new episode of the red and buried podcast i'm frankie i'm sarah and today we have a very special guest with us mr adam roach hello how are you guys good how are you doing <laughs> yeah it's the first time i've seen you today i haven't asked that question yet <laughs> <laughs> really, really convinced show them behind the curtain <laughs> But um, as we mentioned in our previous episode, but in case you hadn't heard it, uh, Adam and I do another podcast, which we'll get into in a bit more detail. But Adam's kindly agreed to sit with us today and talk about the beauty, the wonder, the ever-giving gift that is Poirot, specifically Agatha Christie's, obviously her books, but also, I mean, we'll talk about David Suchet because it's inevitable and an important <laughs> part of all our lives, I think. And Kenneth Branagh, Yeah. <laughs> Frankie's favourite Poirot. <laughs> I don't know why you would want to come on here so aggressive. <laughs> wow, you've got a really weird shade of red. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just because I'm my terrible pallor. <laughs> but thank you for noticing. <laughs> um, but before we get into into this this heated debate where we inevitably fall out and the podcast is cancelled forever, Sarah's going to read a little bio about you, Adam. A bio about me. <laughs> Yeah, I should preface this with Frankie wrote it. So if there's anything wrong or dodgy, yeah. it's entirely down to her. Thank you. For no. That, no accountability. Yeah. No worries. Um, standard, right? <laughs> Adam Roach is a writer, producer, BBC presenter, father, husband, dog owner, and one of the hardest working people in podcasting. He also <laughs> hates compliments, but this isn't his show, so we can say whatever we like, and there's not a damn thing he can do about it. <laughs> I know, I'll tell you what. <laughs> going in strong. Um, Adam is the creator of incredibly successful Attaboy Clarence podcast and the Secret History of Hollywood podcast, the library of which has been optioned by New Republic Pictures for the film and television rights. And for some reason, despite the hundreds of very important projects he's involved in, he recently decided to start a new podcast called The Labours of Hercule with full-time Suchet stalker Frankie. He's also <laughs> one of the nicest people you'll ever meet and is far too generous with his time. Oh, you too. Stop it. <laughs> you know. Well, that's very nice. How uncomfortable do you feel after hearing that? Very uncomfortable, yeah. I might turn my video off. I'm going, I'm going a Frankie shade of red. <laughs> he's turned his camera off he's so upset <laughs> no thank you very much that's very sweet and that's all accurate i think <laughs> well apart from you know i think it's my family that own the dogs so. come on frankie do you research <laughs> they do exist i've seen them yeah yeah they do exist one of them's behind me boris yeah named after boris johnson sarah oh <laughs> i don't know how to process that um <laughs> Sarah straight quickly. It's not <laughs> no, true. It's Bor not. Boris Karloff. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I don't want that news floating around. So <laughs> Could have been the world's shortest podcast episode as I immediately disconnected. Say Poirot then. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your Poirot podcast because you've got one episode so far. So yeah. far. Yeah. Just yeah. Clearly an avid listener. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving it as a treat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For when? Your deathbed. Wow. <laughs> Do you 
you know what? This is awful to admit. I don't even have a podcast app downloaded anymore. I don't think I haven't listened to any. It's great because then we do a podcast together, and you always tell me that you listen to the podcast when you <laughs> while you're recording it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so yes, tell us about your um <laughs> your wonderful labors of Hercule. Why don't you tell us about it, Sarah? <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the David Suchet Poirots and um, I was watching them one Sunday afternoon and I thought, you know, I really should have gotten onto this, uh, making a podcast about this. Instead, you really should podcast about things you're passionate about. And um, Suchet Poirots have always been the, it for me. They're my favourite TV show. So I put a little message out on social media saying, anyone fancy hooking up with me and making a podcast about um, Agatha Christie's Poirot with David Suchet. And there was this avalanche of replies saying, Frankie is the one you need. And I was like, okay, who's this person? And um, uh, Frankie sent me an email and it had the greatest um, subject line ever, which was, go on, Frankie, you do it. <laughs> David Suchet. Oh, no. <laughs> At least you knew what you were getting into from the very beginning. <laughs> Some people like yeah, it, so... turns out, Sarah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we had a call and we had a chat and you came over for dinner with um, your husband. Yes. And we've since become very close friends. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, we like hanging out and doing stuff and talking about Poirot. So we're making a show about it. One episode so far, but um, the next one, we were, I mean, we're going to record it in the next few days, I think, aren't we? Um, but we have really good ideas about format, which should make it a bit more interactive and fun for people to. Sarah, you're going to see a massive change, a shift in tone for the podcast as a, a, you know, the fact you've listened to the first one quite a lot. You're going to be yeah, able... don't get used to what you've heard already. Yeah, don't get too comfortable, it's all Sarah. Change. <laughs> Look, I interact with the social media posts. I click like. I mean, surely that's the biggest gift. I'm just grateful for any of your attention at all, Sarah. Always. You're welcome. My very busy life. Yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, we talked about, actually, as you'd know, Sarah, we talked about it quite a bit in our first episode how um, (laughs) Adam and I came to find each other. But it was basically, he tweeted, and yeah, my friend Jamie Smart, first of all, was like, I think this guy's describing you. And yeah, he basically was. And then, yeah, about five or six of my other friends start saying oh Frankie yeah this is Frankie you've got to do this and I really thought that he'd think I'd paid for bots to spam him (laughs) until he agreed um which was you know the best the best 20 quid I ever spent really because it's worked out very well (laughs) perfect story all brought together by David Suchet himself let's face it is there anything the man can't take credit for I think come together and David Suchet is a phrase that must be repeated around bedrooms around the world Goodness, this is a family podcast. <laughs> so, moving on to the questions, hey? <laughs> well, yeah. So, I obviously, we talk about the TV show on our podcast, Adam, but what is your favourite Poirot book? Because I know you've read like almost all the Agatha Christie's, if not all. Yeah, I've read, I've read them all. Um, mo- most of them I consumed via audiobook because I used to drive for a living. So, I used to buy one, one a month and listen to them like, avidly. My favourite one is very it's one that no one else really puts as their top one but the big four because i really like anthologies and i think that's something that agatha christie did better than anyone because i mean like they always seem to have the best connecting threads running through the stories like 13 problems was a great way of introducing the world to miss marple i think with the big four she manages to not just 
tell a series of really clever mysteries. I know they were all repurposed from other stories, but she links them up with this overarching story of an evil organisation. And I like it because I read it quite late into my infatuation period with Angus Christie. And it was so different from the other ones where they're all, you know, someone's murdered. He interviews people for the whole book and then he tells them who did it. This is like a James Bond movie. And to have that much brass and to take, you know, a high society detective and turn him into a secret agent, I just thought that really demonstrated how versatile he was as a character. And I, I like the labours of Hercules for that reason too. I mean, you know, because they're all stitched together little stories. But The Big Four, I think, was one that really wowed me. I was like, whoa, I didn't realise he was like a James Bond character too. He's throwing bombs around, he's surviving death threats, he's faking his death, he's pretending to be his own twin. It's just fantastic. I cannot <laughs> wait to uh, see Kenneth Branagh portray this story on the big screen. <laughs> I, do, I feel very attacked today. Um, I don't. Well, have you guys planned this? Is this a thing to try and ruin my life, ruin my day? Is that the plan? Maybe, maybe. That's interesting because the Big Four is one of the few I think Agatha Christie books left that I haven't read because oh, reading right, the okay. description, it didn't massively appeal to me. Mm. So you've sold it. I'm going to read it. And who reads well. that one? I say, like, who oh, reads um, that one? In the audience. I think that was Hugh Fraser who read that one. Mm. But, um, he does I most think... of them, doesn't he? Mm. They're brilliant. Yeah. Um, th- I was really surprised later on to find that it was one of his earliest books as well, because because it seems so cobbled together um, from like mysteries and bits, and there's a bit where you know a guy gets killed by a butcher and the chess bit, you know, murder. This must have come quite late. She must have been kind of, oh, you need another book here. I'll throw this bit together and sort of put it out as a book. I mean, it's still brilliant, but um, but it wasn't. It was like his fourth book. So very early. So, um, yeah, I think people, it came straight after Roger Ackroyd. So I think people were still reeling from that one. And this was a huge hit as well, but I don't think it was as well received because I think they could see the joins. Yeah. But for me, I, I just really enjoy it. I just think it's a really good, fun like ride all the way through. So, yeah. it's quite a thrilling one and it's for, for her to go so kind of beyond the locale she normally writes in very little like small places apart, apart from when she's traveled mm. even then you know like death on the nile they're on a boat for the most part they're on the orient express even though they're traveling around the world she kind of normally keeps it quite contained i guess to that locked room formula but with, mm. with the big four it kind of it, it's it feels vast by comparison so it's quite an interesting difference for, for her writing i think and her yeah. usual take i mean you can tell how different, it, like, I know the Mark Gatiss version sort of pared it down and completely changed the ending, gave it this ending that, like, you know, was nowhere near. At the end of the book, um, it takes place in the, in a volcano where the, the big four are, it's like, you know, they're a secret, secret um, organisation of baddies. And I was like, there's got to be some kind of twist that, that shows up to be like, you know, a back room in Wapping or something, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually in a volcano and there's explosions and there's people dragging each other out and Vera Rossikoff's in it and she's like this... Irene Adler character and she's I don't know it's just it's one of those books you go I can't believe she wrote this <laughs> it's insane um, one of experimental era perhaps mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so maybe Sarah maybe you'll pick this one up next then yeah definitely yeah you've really sold it <laughs> I mean <laughs> it's really out there even yeah. though it's not no not set in whopping unfortunately but <laughs> no <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> I'm sure Branner will take it back to whopping oh guys Actually, one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of this, and one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to, to introduce you to each other is because I know you're both ABBA fans. <gasps> Specifically, oh, well, from Sarah's side in particular, Mamma Mia is Sarah's yeah. favourite film. We're going to see that. 
at the out, outdoor cinema next month. I'm wearing a Stockholm t-shirt at the moment. Do you have it's Stockholm wifi. syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love ever. Have you seen Abba Voyage? Uh, no, I haven't. It looks incredible. Adam went I Yeah, you told me. I was so jealous. <laughs> I've got an Abba Voyage jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That I'll never wear. <laughs> I've seen you wear it on at least one Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs> I wore it on a dog walk and um, it's got, like, you know, it looks like a normal jacket. <laughs> so, you know, from the front, it's just like a black jacket. On the back, it's got Abba Voyage all over the back of it. And there was this guy walking <laughs> in the field. And I was like, oh, God. I had to pass someone in the field today. And he got closer and closer and closer. And sort of my front was there and his front was there. And as we passed each other, I sort of turned around <laughs> and walked backwards in case he looked back. It made you feel suitable shame about the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't cost you anything. Yes. <laughs> At least it was free. <laughs> Beyond Poirot, though, obviously, which is, you know, what's brought us all together. I know you are actually a big reader in general. I know that you're often very busy, though, to have time to read kind of fiction books for fun necessarily because you're always thinking about your next piece for red secret history of hollywood or anything else you yeah. hundreds of other things that you're working on but <laughs> what book would you be buried with yeah like you said i don't really get to read many fiction books now like you say my favorite book ever i think is the time traveler's wife by Aldrina Finnega. i don't know if you've read that yeah i've read it like 12 times so i, I think that's my favorite book so i'd, pr- I'd probably be buried with that one Controversially, I think the best book ever written is Lolita. Ooh. Like, I just, I just think the use of language in it is incredible. Like, as as someone who writes, it's like you read certain sentences in that book, and they're like, "Oh my god!" If I spent a year, I couldn't have written anything that good. But I don't think I'd like to be dug up in a thousand years and have that. <laughs> oh, he was a paedophile. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, bury him back. <laughs> Let's throw some some cement in there with him, shall we? <laughs> All right. He was famously quite a good writer, so I think we can forgive mm. you for. I mean. Focusing on the craft rather than content, necessarily. I've not read it, but interestingly, I remember when I read Time Traveller's Wife, part of the what I enjoyed so much about that was the writing was beautiful. There were some really mm. lovely lines in it. So clearly that's your thing. Yeah. And not children. <laughs> no, just to clarify. <laughs> not children and not Boris Johnson. <laughs> Honestly, just for the just for the art of it. <laughs> The fence may not hold up in court, but we'll have to say. <laughs> I think it's been tried before. <laughs> I'd love to see that, Troy. <laughs> amazing. Obviously, you don't have as much time to read as you'd want to, but you do watch a lot of films. Mm, yeah. A lot of films. What film yeah. would you be buried with? I'm, my favourite films are Rebecca by Alfred Hitchcock and It's a Wonderful Life. And like from one day to the next, they're always like, oh, I don't know which one I like more. So it'll definitely be one of those. But um, I think you might have to ask me again on my deathbed because I won't know until that moment <laughs> which one I want to take. With. Well, they're very different moods between them. So I guess it's dependent on what how you feel as you're dying, whether you're happy. Yeah. Or... If I feel Christmassy, then I might take it. Well, if you die at Christmas, that's, you know, a little festive goodbye. <laughs> yeah, just give me some baubles, Lolita. <laughs> Quite the party. Sarah, now Sarah famously isn't a big film uh what would we say you don't you watch films but not a lot of films 
Is that fair to say? No, mostly just Mamma Mia. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> Mamma Mia, here we go again. I love Mamma Mia, by the way. Here we, Mamma Mia, here we go again is the best sequel ever. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think you've just done all the credibility that you had. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Sometimes Sarah will just, how many times a week have you watched Mamma Mia in your life, would you say? I I mean, I haven't watched it in a while, but... There was one point, though, where you were watching it at least once a week. Was it during lockdown? (laughs) Probably. That was a dark time, Frankie, on so many levels. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever got us through, let's face it. I was furloughed. I was, yeah. It was quite entertaining for me, but... (laughs) From outside a, a gentle cry for help. Mm. You were in the hammock a lot, day drinking. Yeah, yeah. Got me through those first few months. Like, sounds like every Wednesday to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, you should come over, Sarah, and watch Mamma Mia. Frankie, you have to join us. Yeah, you should. Hmm. We'll sit in the hammock outside and do some day drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hang out with Boris Johnson, your dog, and Phoebe goes to the film. <laughs> Um, no, obviously I've not seen either of Adam's film picks. You've ever. not seen It's a Wonderful Life? No, it looks sad. It's not. That's the whole point. Like, it's sad, but then it gets really uplifting. He wants to kill himself. I'm going to make you watch it this year. Why would you watch that when you could watch Mamma Mia? <laughs> yeah, but Mamma Mia, here we go again. Begins with Mel Streep's death, which is really sad. Yeah, that is awful. <laughs> Wow, it's taken a real turn, hasn't it? <laughs> wow, you're really let's, bringing the podcast down, Adam. Jesus. Let's move on to something cheerier. Adam, what would your death row meal be? <laughs> hmm. um, I had to think about this. Um, I like Tornados Rossini. Have you tried it? I, <laughs> I don't, don't, Sorry, what I did don't you say? understand the words you just said. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a fillet steak and you cook it in butter and then you put it on a like a crude like a round crouton and then you top it with foie gras and truffles and you make a madeira sauce and it's really thick it's one of those things i eat when whenever i have it and i have to eat every sliver of it really slowly and like really small and it lasts forever so i think it'd probably be a good um death row meal because i could like delay the execution that doesn't kill you right. first <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> your or a greenpeace activist yeah. <laughs> that's amazing that's you definitely win the prize for most decadent death row meal out of anyone we've had on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What, what have other people said then? I'm very, very interested. I think we've had a roast dinner, I think. Yeah. Um, Somebody, I think it was, was it Fiona Cummins? It was like, I think I don't think I'd be able to eat anything. I think I'd be too nervous. Yeah. Like, yeah, not a feeling I've ever experienced in my life, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go out with a bang if I'm going to be killed. What about you guys? What have you said? I'm very interested. I'm pretty sure my answer changes week on week anyway, so God mm. knows what I've said in the past. At the moment, I think it would be something Mexican. Mm. Just a massive burrito bowl or something. Mexican food makes me happy. Pretty good. Yeah. I thought you were going to say a roast cauliflower just to piss me off. I do love a cauliflower, much to Frankie's absolute horror. I, I like <laughs> cauliflower, it's fine, but it's just the way you like lose your mind when it's on a menu somewhere, and I'm like, it's a fucking cauliflower, Sarah. <laughs> Like Adam's one, I would get the excitement around that on the menu. <laughs> it's a fucking cauliflower. I'm gonna get you one out of the bloody probably out of the bin somewhere because no one's cauliflower. <laughs> it's not that good when it's just boiled, but roasted or fr- oh god, it's so good. Anyway, Frankie, what's your pick? Probably pasta. I always yeah. pasta for me at all times. Yeah, I mean completely off topic for the podcast, but MS have started doing a cacio e pepe. Oh, have they? 
I haven't tried it, but Shah, my housemate, had it while I was away this week, actually, and she said it was one of the best things she's ever eaten. What? So, For a ready go. meal? Mm, it's like a one of their fancy range ones, you know? What, better than the Chrissy Teigen recipe? don't know. I mean, she's eaten that one, so, mm. yeah. Okay, I'll have to give that there a look. Go. Anyway, sorry, Adam. <laughs> we just really love food. Adam used to be a chef. <laughs> Well, then you understand the, um, or I suppose, I don't know if you sort of, does it put you off it slightly when you work with it day in, day out? I wasn't a chef before I was a chef. I didn't like lead up to it or anything. I was just friends with someone who owned a restaurant and they were like, you know, you like to cook. And I was like, yeah, do you want to be a chef? And I was like, oh, yeah. So I went and I thought it was going to be, you know, someone would order, I don't know, something exotic. And you'd, you'd go, right, everyone, shh, give me some room. And I'd chop it gently and I'd fry it and I'd rest it. And, I'd do this and, I'd and it's not that at all. Basically, you cook everything in the morning. You put it all in plastic tubs in the fridge. And then when someone orders it, you either microwave it or <laughs> fry it to get it hot again. Leave it under a heat lamp while you make a sauce. It's really unglamorous. And it did for a while put me off food. But now food is the only way I can kind of relax. It's the only excuse. It's the only thing I can do when... And I don't have to be by my desk because I always feel like I've got to be at my desk doing something if I'm on a call or something like that. But cooking is the only way I actually relax now. So I go out and spend two hours making dinner every night and watch a movie or something. Oh, yeah. Wife is that. a lucky woman. <laughs> there you go. That's no and you, you cook like every night for hundreds of meals, it feels like, for your children and everything. You're always good. Yeah. Then you get to watch Poirot, right? While you... I do, yeah. So, yeah, I'm in a big Poirot revisit at the moment. So, yeah, I'm loving it. Life, yeah, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Really, yeah, um, thank you. Well, also talking about your life, so Sarah, I've told you a bit about Adam's podcast, The Secret History yeah. of Hollywood. Well, he's obviously yeah. got so many podcasts, but um, yeah. Secret History of Hollywood is the, the amount of work that you put into it is insane mm-hmm. because they're epics, you write epics for every single episode, right? So, yeah. you're in your Cary Grant series at the moment. Tell Sarah yeah. how long the first part is. So, part one is 12 hours 50 minutes that's one episode I looked it up I was being slightly facetious when I said I don't even have a podcast app I do I looked it up and subscribed (laughs) haven't listened obviously um yeah I did but not just obviously is the series really long the episodes are really long as well that's a lot of work I'm assuming I do nothing for any podcasts except turn up I know that yeah (laughs) painfully you're the talent that's fine Yesterday, yeah. she posted a happy birthday message to me on our Instagram account, and I thought our account had been hacked at first. I was like, who is this? How <laughs> nice that the hacker wants to wish me a happy birthday, but who is this? <laughs> Shocking. You're welcome. Um, but you must be really passionate about the topic to put that much effort and time into it. You know, it's certainly not yeah. a throwaway project, is it? No, no. I've been doing it for eight years now, this podcast. So I know there's only like 15 episodes on the feed, but that's because the rest of them were taken by audible and now they live on my patreon so but there's god knows hundreds and hundreds of hours of it and it's like if my my view is that if i'm gonna put that much time in because each episode takes what six seven months to make so if i'm gonna put that much work into it it has to be something that i would want to listen to so i know i get that they're long but and lots of people say, I'm not, I couldn't listen to that. It's too long. It's like, fine. But um, for me, it's like reading a book. If you're not emotionally invested in people, then the payoffs don't work very well. So for me, it's like, I have to tell you why they matter, why this event that comes later on matters so much. So yeah, they're incredibly long, but they're, they're kind of designed to be more audiobooks, I think, 
with effects, let's say, and sort of dramatised than um, regular podcasts. So. Yeah. <laughs> they're a bit weird. They kind of stand alone. <laughs> Not weird. They're amazing, truly. <laughs> Thank you. And you do a lot of writing all the time, but what do you enjoy most and least about the writing process? Like, least is when you're staring at the cursor and it's blinking away and you just cannot get your brain to start mm. <laughs> working. And then as well, sometimes when you do write and you get two pages down and you just know that it's all crap and you're going to have to rewrite it or throw it away, that's the worst thing because it feels like I'm going to waste my day. But what I do enjoy is that sometimes you'll tap into a turn of phrase or describe something perfectly and, and you'll sit back and go, oh my God, I nailed that. And you feel like imposter syndrome because, you know, I was a delivery driver and a, a chef and all this kind of thing. I wasn't a writer ever and now I have writers saying oh you're a really good writer and it's like oh goodness me I still don't believe it so <laughs> you just yeah, be like yeah so it's when... easy what are you guys complaining about anyone yeah. can do it <laughs> exactly. I, don't, I don't tell them about the blinking cursor <laughs> it just flows from me you know I'll, I'll go away and leave it for a while and then record it a few months down the line and read it again and think oh my goodness me I can do it <laughs> That one goes on the wall, you know. So, um, yeah, that's what I like about it. You get small wins, but they uh, they cancel out the hundred failures. Do you ever go back and reread stuff that you've written years ago and think, "Oh God, I'm really good"? Or the opposite? No, I tried. To... You don't. You don't want to admit this, do you? <laughs> no, I try. I tried to write a novel for. I think. I think I spent ten years trying to write a novel, and um, I just couldn't do it because the words I was using were fine, but I have no sense of structure if I'm coming up with the story on my own. Like, what do they do now? And what do they do in the next scene? Like, I really struggle with that. That's why histories, for me, are great, because I don't really struggle with the words. It's more, you know, what they did and in what order. So I can take a history and say, right, they're in that room, and they had that conversation and everything. So I can turn that into something interesting. But yeah, I've gone back and reread the, I think, 40 drafts I did of that novel. And Ooh. God, God, it's so bad. <laughs> there's conversations where they just sit there and don't do anything and then they go and sit somewhere else it's like why are these even here oh god so bad yeah it sounds like a good kevin smith script to me <laughs> there's no such thing as a good kevin smith script. <laughs> that's a film joke sarah <laughs> yeah I, I got that much i understand the reference but... <laughs> but obviously within your insane amounts of research and the the fact you watch hundreds of films constantly and everything and you've, you've obviously uncovered so many interesting characters and people within history and that's one of the things I think is so incredibly impressive about the secret history I know you don't like compliments but as we said tough shit we can say what we want on our podcast um but you um you. when you tell a story of one person it's not just about one person it's about everyone in the periphery of that person and all the lives around them and how they've contributed to that person's life and you go you go so deep in so many different directions but it all kind of it's all so cohesive and all brings together beautifully but I mean as a result of that you must have uncovered some really interesting characters and some really cool people that a lot of people don't know exist but if you had to be one of them of the people you've covered in an episode of Secret History of Hollywood who would you be? Well my favourite star of anything has always been James Cagney so when I wrote his life story in Bullets and Blood series I was that just made me fall in love with him more because I didn't really know much about him I just loved seeing him on screen so, I mean, he lived to a ripe old age. He was a really nice guy. 
he shunned all the limelight and said, you know, in between films, I'm going to go and fish and build boats and read and enrich myself culturally. And he made friends who were there for life. And he was missed when he was gone. And he starred in all the films I love. So I think, you know, it was joy to write his story. And I really miss, miss him <laughs> in a way. I'm, I'm not writing about him anymore. So, um, yeah, James Cagney. Uh, it, it, I, I loved him before, but yeah, he... He's a massive part of me now. And, and our birthdays are the same day and everything. It's like, it's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Plus he was very cool. I'm not, but I, I aspire to be. So. You're cool. <laughs> Thanks. Only by association with who you podcast with, but whatever. Smokey will be happy to hear that. <laughs> I've just finished listening to your Shadows series that you did with uh, Secret History Hollywood, which Sarah is all about Val Luton, who produced and wrote some basically B movies for RKO in the 30s, 40s. Okay. Yeah. Um, but within that, obviously, as you said, you go down, you go off and cover everyone around it and everyone involved. And you made you've made me fall in love with Boris Karloff. Like I. Oh, he's yeah, gone. He's so great, isn't he? And he's one of those characters I didn't really know about to begin with, and as well, I, I sort of covered him in a very early series called Universe of Horrors, and uh, found he was like a real gentleman. And then really lucky to be able to write about him again in the Shadows series. He's just. And everyone loves him so much. He's just, he was one of those guys who just refused to be a dick, even though he could have been all the time. So, yeah, he was, he's just lovely. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we're, we're currently working on this film version of that series. And, um, he's, he's someone that they don't want to cut out. They want, they want him to be a big part of this film. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah. Who could play Boris? Boris? Wow. Mm, there is a good, I'll put it in the chat. I think. <laughs> what would you have done if they had wanted to cut him out when he's such a loved, not a character, I suppose, person yeah. from your perspective? Um, just yeah, name. I thought they were going <laughs> to. I thought they were going to um, do that because it, he's kind of periphery to. He's more to do with the end of his career, and the, all of the real Val Luton story takes place during the success years, not so much the the decline years. He, he had a very brief career as a producer, and he was like six years long, and he died very early. So I thought they were going to want to focus on, you know, the success and the hits and the creativity and all that sort of thing. But they were like, no, Karloff has to play a huge part in this because, you know, we love him, so we want him to be there, which is really great. So Hopefully. The, he hasn't been on film much in, in many biopics, so hopefully this will be... A, yeah, because who can take it on? Yeah, exactly. Sarah, a bit of local pride for you. Boris Karloff was cremated at Guildford Crematorium, which is oh, right around the corner us. from my house. How I know, you can swing by, have a little visit. Yeah, yeah, pop up there. <laughs> yeah. Haven't had my lunch break yet. Oh, there you go, a little treat. Make a sandwich, make a day of it. Okay, see Boris, yeah. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon, a little can of cocktail or something, surely. Any excuse, right? Yeah, then yeah, watch Mamma Mia. <laughs> <laughs> it's what Boris would have wanted. Yeah, I'll take my laptop up. We can watch it together. They should do a screening at the crematorium, but not of a Boris Karloff film, Mamma Mia. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go again. You're not even the first one. <laughs> yeah. It's what Boris would have wanted. <laughs> That's how I'll sell it to them. <laughs> you like share. Yeah. But I also know that you're a big fan of, cr- of crime, of the crime genre. <laughs> 
um, love a crime. Yeah. We do love, to be fair, we do love a crime on this podcast. <laughs> um, ones we're not allowed to talk about. You, yeah, you, you obviously watch a lot of like film noir and um, you, I know you're a big kind of Hitchcock person, obviously, and everything. But so, but you must obviously, you've seen so many noir films, you've read so many crime stories and things like that over the years. What's a trope within those that you're so sick of? And you, when you see it in a film, whatever, you just the eye roll, like, oh God, not this again, really? Um, funny enough, it's the one that's a staple of Poirot stories, which is where he, where he gathers everyone together and lays out everything that's happened in the story. No. Them, which one's a killer? Now, I, I like it, don't get me wrong, but I do find it really funny that they all sit there and take it <laughs> when he tells them how appalling they are, who's having an affair with who, who argued with the victim, what their shoe size is. I was, I was thinking to myself, if someone was like, oh, and by the way, he's got syphilis, I'd be like... It's pretty weird, but... The secret should die with you. Just let him do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it, in a lot of cases it can be quite a contrived thing, whereas with mm. Poirot it really works because that's the kind of character he is. He is going to yes. gather everyone and be like, look how clever I am. Grandiose. Yeah. Here it is. I wouldn't want it ev- any other way. I love it when he gathers them around, but I've always found it a little bit like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> There's no surprise. It's right. They're all in a room and he's stood there with his hands behind his back. We know what's coming now. <laughs> wouldn't it be? Like, it's always a dream of mine that I'm I'm involved in the periphery of a crime like I haven't done anything but I'm just there and then I'm in the room when that happens and I get to watch that and I get to find out who has syphilis now I know it's you but like I'll act surprised and it's like holy shit this is the this is like the dream come true like I always hope that there's going to be some sort of murder when I go somewhere mm. for that reason escalated okay mm, mm, usually yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it happens in real life I'm afraid Frankie you might be disappointed here well, this is where modern policing's gone horribly wrong, hasn't it? It's, mm, it's too much well, bureaucracy and not enough. So many issues, but that is the biggest one. <laughs> they haven't got the budget. It's health and safety. It's <laughs> the problem. Yeah. You can't put a killer in a room with loads of innocent people and, and expose them anymore. That's the other thing <laughs> when you think about one. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe a Zoom call would. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be better. First one to turn off the camera is guilty. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I know you said you don't read a lot but what was the last book that you read and loved um i'm glad you said book and not novel because now i'm going for anything non-fiction's okay that does count as a book yeah the last book I read and really loved was the Tucci Cookbook, which I, which I read all the time now. So, and actually, I wouldn't mind being buried with that. I wouldn't mind being buried with Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Mm. Snap. <laughs> in fact, I mean, if you ate everything in that book, there's no doubt that's where you end up anyway. So very fitting, obesity. But yeah, it's the Tucci Cookbook. <laughs> I really like um, anthology books, and you very kindly gave me a load of them when you came. So yeah, yeah I've got a few Alfred Hitchcock tales of suspense and things yes sarah adams inherited a bunch of my dad's books still palming them <laughs> off on people yep, basically whenever anyone comes around I'm like welcome take a pile <laughs> take some books yeah i get it from my mum every time i go around so i have to share them out okay we're going back to what you said about the yeah i guess that is a fair one i think agatha christie does it a lot better than a lot of other crime writers the whole everyone's in a room together and you know what's coming and it's the deliberation and actually i mean we talk about it in our actual podcast we should save this content for that but in the TV series, in the early ones, they don't do it a lot of that in the early short stories. It's kind of, mm. they look back and it's done in flashback yeah. more, isn't it? Yeah, very true. I thought you were going to say Agatha Christie does it better than Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> One would hope, yeah. 
are you um I appreciate I would know this had I listened to your first episode but are you are you working your way through in series chronological order or book chronological series. order okay so you're not going to get onto the big ones until quite a way into it yeah big ones. yeah yeah okay the later ones with the big names in yeah it's interesting you probably know the answer to this why did they start with the smaller short stories and not go in with the big blockbusters of roger Ackroyd and murder and you know well, funny enough we do know the answer to that don't we because we had an email from a listener because we asked the same question on the first episode and we thought basically it would have been like really hard to start with murder on the orient express or death on the nile or something and then go back to third floor flat or you know a smaller one <laughs> like adventure of the clapham cook it would have been like crazy to do the smaller ones afterwards so we thought it was probably because they wanted to get the shorter ones out of the way and then go bigger depending on how successful they were but you had an email didn't you <laughs> from shannon from shannon and i'm trying to remember the content of that email <laughs> <laughs> she said it was something to do with the story rights yeah it was i think so i i think it was an element of what adam oh, said as right. well but yeah i think it was and they obviously a bit of a taster to get started really but Mm. it obviously worked out very well because by the time it got to yeah. the, the big ones everyone's heavily invested and deeply in love with david suchet so mm. it became it became like event event programming didn't it i remember in the tv times or radio times or whatever they'd be heavily advertised on the front cover a new poirot is coming and it's yeah. this date and sunday night and so make sure you save the date and all that kind of thing and they do like four a year wouldn't they and it was like big event television and everyone would settle in and it'd be like 20 20 million viewers i think i think there's no way they could have done that if it was you know <laughs> triangle at roads or something 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> great great one though but yeah i love triangle at roads yeah it's yeah. pretty good oh man and, and oh, god especially for the very last episode of, of curtain of poor I, I don't know that I'll ever watch that. Really? Oh. I've not read it either. I cannot bring myself to do it. It's pretty devastating. Obviously. Yeah. I made the mistake. I've, I've watched it a few times, but I remember I made the mistake of re-watching it once after I'd failed my driving test. What a terrible idea. <laughs> Just push myself off that cliff. Just a blubbering mess for the rest of the day. Mm. Oh, God. That bar is gone. I can't even drive. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading an interview with him um, and it was before they'd even made the last series and um, he, he said, I'd really like to do Curtain as a feature film and have it released into cinemas. And I was thinking, oh, that would have been a great idea. Not not feasible, obviously, but it would have been cool if they'd shown it at cinemas. Like They, sh they showed a couple of episodes at Sherlock and, and stuff at cinemas, but I think that's more of a thing now. But Curtain's, Curtain's just a genius way of finishing him, isn't it? I mean, God. To have that amount of bravery and balls to say, no, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And it's going to be, you know, it has to be a reason for him to die as well. And the reason is really clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really I clever. I think she, she wrote it, if I'm not mistaken, for uh, basically for her, her grandchildren like, to get an inheritance because she knew that it wouldn't make money. So it was popped in a safe. She was like, get this published when you want a bit of cash. She wrote it really early, didn't she? Mm. It was like 19... 61 or something yeah. way before all of his later adventures and she just locked it away couldn't wait to kill him <laughs> she was just afraid of it carrying on without her if she died suddenly or something yeah maybe i guess it, yeah i always wonder with that because she also said as well that uh she regretted making poirot and and marple so old from the beginning mm. she's like they've got a shelf life in theory they're not going to live forever although she really crams a lot of a lot of crime into their lifespan even in the later mm. years. But that's a good point, actually. I didn't consider the fact that she was doing it to 
end the legacy with her. That's a that's... interestingly. I was listening to your appearance on Geek Four the other day, oh, yeah. and you were and you, you were talking about Mike asked you how you would spin the character mm-hmm. these days, and you said I'd make Poirot, you know, female, and just to, just to just to cat among the pigeons and see see how it affects the character and all that kind of thing. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, if if you had the right to to do that kind of thing and mess with the character in any way you liked, I thought Miss Marple would be really cool to do. But as a really young girl, like as a teenager or something, and have her be Miss Marple, you know, and, and, and don't even set her in those, those times, maybe sort of modern day her kind of thing. And, and I don't know, we could run and run and run until she was old and then it would all make sense. Oh, that's why she's so clever. Yeah, yeah I think you could always retcon Agatha Christie characters like crazy. I seem to recall. I don't. I, I don't know if anything ever happened with it, or if it just didn't didn't materialize. But I think they were making a a, a modern Marple, but with Octavia Spencer playing her. It rings a bell. Oh, right. I, I don't, hmm. didn't hear the I Octavia Spencer, but I'm sure they were talking about doing a modern version. I think she'd be great. I'd love to. I mean, obviously, she's yeah. not as young as what you're speaking about, but I think oh, yeah, she she brings a level of brilliance to everything she does. So I think that'd be really. Yeah. As, as I said, basically, Sarah, I'm sure you didn't listen to that podcast that I was on either because you're a very supportive <laughs> friend. Um, but I was, uh, what I was saying was if Mike, Mike asked me if I could recut, if I could make my own new Poirot, what would I do with it differently? And I was saying that I would cast a young woman to play Poirot because I'm so sick, Kenneth Branagh, of people taking Poirot and not really doing anything new or exciting with it, apart from making the moustache fucking ridiculous and giving it a stupid backstory that doesn't the make backstory. any sense. <laughs> and yeah. having him fighting on top of trains and everything yeah. that's inherently wrong. I'm just saying, if you're going to do it, don't give, make it another old white man. Make it more interesting, was my, was yeah. my point, Sarah, for your reference, because you're not going to listen to the episode that I did. But maybe one day. Mm, are you saving that one too, are you, for a treat? Yeah, yeah. I've definitely got it downloaded. So what a day like... that will be. <laughs> I'm very busy, Frankie. Um... <laughs> you forget I know you as a person, right? <laughs> yeah talk okay, every day well, but sure anyway adam it's been such a pleasure to have you with us on the red and berry thank you for having me it's been so nice to meet you both thank you so much well, you've met me before <laughs> yeah <laughs> and sarah i'm glad that you're not jealous of my new podcasting partner and you're happy i mean you didn't even notice that i was doing it so you're <laughs> <that> concerned. <laughs> thank you yeah, it's had very little impact on my life frankie i won't lie <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah, thank you for your support. <laughs> no, thank thank you for coming on, Adam. Um, it was really interesting, and I am Thanks going to so go much. away so and read the Big Four and possibly Curtain. We'll see. You should definitely read Curtain. Big Four. Don't blame me if you don't like it. No one likes it. Yeah, and that's it. And we're going to watch It's a Wonderful Life this Christmas, Sarah. I'm going to make it happen. I'm in Australia this Christmas, unfortunately. But just to not, get away from this film, just to avoid that, <laughs> unbelievable. But, yeah. <laughs> They have it in Australia, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Frankie's going to turn up on my doorstep. I'm going to message Maggie. Yeah. Sarah's um. mum and I are friends on Facebook, so I can have this arranged. Yeah. Great, great times. <laughs> you too. Amazing. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Follow us on all the social media channels at Red and Buried Podcast. Hey, you got it. it. And also on Frankie and Adam's podcast social media channels. I yes. really don't know those. Well, we annoyingly we've got two different ones because of availability. But it's it's labor's hurt. 
Hercule on Twitter? <laughs> I, I can't remember, actually. <laughs> oh, man, I'm giving Sarah so much shit. shreds about for not knowing our <laughs> I do multiple podcasts, Sarah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for Twitter, it's Labours Hercule. And for Instagram, it is, I think, Labours of Hercule. But if you just search it, you'll find us. Yeah. And happy birthday, Frankie. Oh, thank you. Yes. But it's long gone now. I'm just old. <laughs> oh. I did a Zoom call with, with my team earlier. Um, and my friend was like, you look different now. I was like, what? Because I'm older. She's like, yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you very much. How rude. Mm. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Follow us Thank everywhere. You. And see you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, Ed. Elsewhere on We Made This. We dig music. This is evidence enough that I was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Particularly because your initial choice was from 1986. <laughs> it was on a 1978 playlist. People yeah. that do year-based playlists need to calm the fuck down and check their facts. <laughs> I mean, granted, I am a person that's done a year-based playlist and I need to calm down and <laughs> check my fucking facts, which is fine, right? Yeah, that's fair. But, like... Or you can just do what I do and like just say, no, it's a compilation album that's released in that year and I'm definitely going to do it. I no, I can't no. do that because he... Yes, no. Chris Rear has a time machine. He released a compilation of his mid-80s tracks. But, you know, earlier. the weird thing is, so, yeah, we, we switched this one out quite late on in our preparation for the Last podcast, night. And, mm. and, and it made fuck all difference to any of our notes. Dream Given Form, a Babylon 5 podcast. On a science fiction heavy TV series, I'm not sure how much you can push the boundaries that way. So I think it has to be in terms of storytelling, yeah. character, and progressiveness, I think. And kind of looking back at Sensei, I think that's a good way of going forward. So what are your thoughts around the idea of the CW network being the network to pick up the Babylon 5 reboot? I, I don't know whether it's the right one or not. In all honesty, mm. and with the recent kind of announcement that CW's being sold, yeah, uh, which is why um, the pilot script's not been picked up. Frame to frame. The overarching narrative of Nolan's trilogy is so good. Nolan dedicated an entire movie to us understanding Bruce Wayne and why Bruce Wayne mm. wants to become the embodiment of fear. That's what that groundwork is what then allows the Dark Knight to become the incredibly tortured, bleak, like almost nihilistic beast that it is, in, in which there's no such thing as a hero. There are no heroes. No, exactly. But as, as a question to you, are you are you suggesting then, if a film hypothetically was to exist without giving us the Batman Begin portion, but to exist in, I don't know, the second or third year of the Batman story, that is dark, bleak and nihilistic... If it was not to have the Batman Begins, do you think it wouldn't quite work as well as The Dark Knight? Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.